Likutei Sichos, Chelik Tezayin, that's volume 16, the Sicha for Parshas Para. As a brief introduction, from the Shabbos closest to Rishchodesh Adar, through the Shabbos closest to Rishchodesh Nisan, in addition to the normal schedule of the Torah readings, the Parsha we should read every Shabbos, we take out a second Sefer Torah, and there are four special readings. Two of them are before Purim, which we've already done, and then the latter two are the two Shabbosim, the two uh, readings closest to Rosh Chodesh Nisan. What the, the, the two that are closest to Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first one is Parshas Pora, in which we read about the red heifer, the Pora Aduma, which was basically a special cow which was slaughtered in a special manner, different than all other korbanot, and it was reduced to ashes, it was totally burnt, and those ashes were kept that in the case that somebody was tamemet, which means he came in contact with a dead body, thus rendering him ritually impure, that person would have to have, go through a special regimen of cleansing, of purification, which involved twice of being sprayed with water, which had a mixture of these ashes. So we read about it in the Shabbat prior to the last Shabbat of these four weeks. What do we read in the last Shabbat of these four weeks, meaning the Shabbat closest to Rosh Chodesh Nisan? We read the reading of HaChodesh. HaChodesh is the very first mitzvah which we received as a people, as a nation. Moshe told us about the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, of making Rosh Chodesh, establishing Rosh Chodesh. The first Rosh Chodesh was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the month of Nisan, the month in which we were uh, redeemed, in which we experienced the exodus from Egypt. And including this, included in this reading is also about the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering, which all Jews were supposed to participate in. Now, why do we read the Parsha of Parah Duma? Because especially in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, it was important to remind everybody that the time, the clock is ticking and the time is coming soon in which everybody will have to partake in this very, very special korban. And in order to partake in it, you have to be ritually pure and therefore one needs to um, see to it that if in case they've come in contact with their dead body, that they will go through the proper process of purification. So let's go into the Sikha. In the Yerushalmi, that means in the Jerusalem Talmud, discussing the regimen, the order of these four parshiot. So it says as follows. It says, Bidinhu, it would be logical that the parsha of HaChodesh, meaning the latter, the last special reading that we read, should actually precede the parsha which we read before, which is Parah. Okay, it would, it would be logical, it would make sense that we should first read HaChodesh and then Parah. Why? Because HaChodesh discusses Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of Nisan. The first day of Nisan is when they erected, when they officially inaugurated the tabernacle. It's only on the second day, on the next day, on the second of Nisan, is when the first Parah Aduma, the first red heifer, was burned and prepared for use. The question is then, says the Talmud, why is it that para kodemet, that the reading about the para duma precedes, 
So the answer is Shehi Taratan Shokol Yisrael. It takes priority because this is, it speaks about the purification, the purification process of all of Israel. It emphasizes all of Israel. So says the Rebbe, from the, from the manner which the Talmud expresses this point, it seems that the purification of the paraduma, of the process of making somebody pure through the means of the ashes of the red heifer, that it has a connection and it applies to all Jews. For, and this is the reason why it was established as a reading for all Jews out of order preceding the reading of HaChodesh. But the question is, says the Rebbe, it seems, it would seem, that the whole idea of purification, the whole idea of a need for purification through the means of the ashes of the Paraduma is only an individualized thing. In other words, it only seems to be applicable to individuals, not to the entirety of the Jewish people. Because we know that, there, first of all, there's a rule, first of all, that if most of the congregation is impure, then the entire concept of impurity gets pushed away. Specifically when it comes to the mitzvah of Korban Pesach. The rule is that if more than the more than half, meaning the majority of the people are impure, that you don't have to scramble to make sure that everybody comes pure, but rather you can offer it in a state of impurity. So therefore it comes out that the concept of impurity does, is not applicable to the tzibur, is not a, applicable to the general collective body of the Jewish people. It's just an individualized thing. So the question is, why then would the purification of the individual, so to speak, the purification of somebody who's impure due to coming in contact with a dead body, override, so to speak, the normal order for the entirety of the klal, for the entirety of the congregation of all the Jews. So this leads us understanding that the concept, perhaps not all the details, but the concept, the idea of paraduma, of the red heifer, this idea, this concept is applicable to all Jews at all times. Unlike the literal application of para, which is only for, like we said, for one who is actually Tommy. So in order to understand this, we'll preface a very interesting thing that we find in the way the Rambam classifies, in the way he describes the idea, the concept of the mitzvah, the, the way he defines the concept of the mitzvah of paraduma. Now where you can see the best definition for any mitzvah is in the, in the Rambam's code of the mitzvot. We know that the Rambam has a Sefer HaMitzvot, which is literally means the, the book of mitzvot, in which he, coded, he gives us a, a, a list of codifying all the 613 mitzvot. And there, if you follow his verbiage closely, you can always get an exact idea, a definition of the inherent idea of what that, mitzvah, that particular mitzvah may be. So if we look at the mitzvah of paraduma, it says, he says as follows, that we were commanded, quote, to make a paraduma, to make a red heifer, in order that it afara mizuman, afara mizuman, that its ashes should be available, should be ready for anyone who would need it in order to purify himself from this impurity of tumat met, of coming in contact with a dead body. 
So what you see from the words of the Rambam, it's that's not the mitzvah, the inherent idea of the mitzvah. The definition of the concept of the mitzvah is not so much that one should purify himself or that the ashes is, is available to him when such time arises that he needs it, but rather that it should constantly be there ready and available for this cause, for this purpose. And he brings for this actually his source, as he always does in the Sefer HaMitzvahs. The source is the uh, verse in the Torah which describes the mitzvah. And the verses it says, Quote, and it shall be for the entire congregation of the children of Israel, for a safekeeping. So the Rambam deduces from this that the entire congregation, it has to be available for the entire congregation constantly for a safekeeping. You know, in essence, if you think about it, what does this mean? In essence, there's actually no obligation. There's no overt obligation for one to purify himself from the, the tumatmate, from the impurity of coming in contact with a dead body. Even in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, and even in the times that there was an obligation to do a pilgrimage to the Bet HaMikdash, which of course would necessitate that and obligate one to become pure, still there is a way in which if you were not pure, that you so to speak become exempt and you don't have to go. In other words, you can live your whole life, almost your whole life, without purifying yourself. In other words, in plain simple words, there is no obligation to become pure. So therefore, again, going into the words of the Rambam, following the words of the Rambam, it's obvious that there's something more to the mitzvah paraduma, more than just providing the opportunity for one to become pure, but rather there's a general idea of it being there, of it constantly serving a purpose, a subliminal purpose by it being there as a safekeeping. Interesting that there's another very great halacha codifier, the codifier of the mitzvot, Rav Sadia Goen, Okay, from the Gaonic period, which is a post-Talmudical period, which actually precedes the era of the Rambam, which it seems from his wording too, the way he describes the mitzvah, that he too is of this opinion, that the idea, the concept of the mitzvah, the Poraduma, is that it should be there for constant safekeeping. And the words he uses is, Upara lemishmeres beteder, that the para, the idea of this mitzvah, of the red heifer, is that it should be a safekeeping beteder in the constant. So you see again, that there's something inherent about the para duma, that it should constantly be there, and be there available for all, not just for a particular individual who chooses, um, who chooses, to, 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 to avail himself of the ashes that are there. So again, to summarize, it seems that there's something here about the para aduma, which is so, which is more, or not just more or most, but totally about it being there and it being there for everyone, serving a purpose of everyone, not just the individual who needs to avail himself from the ashes of the para aduma. So how do, how do we make sense of this? So the Rebbe says, we know, in general, that everything that we see here in this physical material world is really an expression, a derivative, a reflection of what goes on in the spiritual worlds. And the same can be said for the particulars, or so to speak, the material part, the material details of any given mitzvah, that that really is an expression 
of its general idea way up there in the lofty spiritual levels. In other words, through the details of the mitzvah, we can learn, we can appreciate, we can get an idea, a glimpse into the real depth of the spirituality of that mitzvah and what that mitzvah is all about. So this tells us that what is the spiritual idea of paraduma? That it should, it's something that needs to be constantly available and it needs to be constantly active, not just for the individual who, quote, is impure, but for each and every single Jew. That is the spiritual idea. What is it? Says the Rebbe, the whole idea of paraduma, if you want to summarize it in its spiritual sense, is tshuva. The idea of tshuva, which doesn't mean repenting, but means returning, coming closer to Hashem. Because if you think about it, what is the idea of death, of this impurity of death, in the spiritual sense? So we know, as the verse says in Isaiah, that your sins caused a separation between me and you, God says, between you and between us and Hashem. And of course, in the Torah, we, we know, Moshe Rabbeinu says to us, and we recite this verse, Every time, right before we begin the reading of the Torah, any given time we read the Torah, formally, Moshe says, and you are dvekim, you are held fast, you cleave to Hashem your God, you're all alive today. Meaning, when one cleaves to Hashem, then one is alive. So one understands that if, God forbid, like the verse says in Isaiah, in Yishayo, that one is separated from Hashem, one is, God forbid, distant from Hashem, then that is obviously the opposite of life, which is the idea of death. Para Aduma basically reverses this, it takes away the aspect of death, and it brings that, which Para Aduma is the idea of tshuva. Tshuva is what reverses that and brings the person closer to Hashem, which results in the person being, quote, spiritually alive. And this is highlighted in some of the key components of the preparation of the Paraduma. If we look in the key components of the preparation of Paraduma, this seems to be something which seems to be somewhat, somewhat paradoxical. In the one hand, the Paraduma was unlike any of the other offerings. Every single offering of the Bet HaMikdash had to do, be, be offered, had to be prepared, had to be done specifically and deliberately within the parameters of the holiest place spot in the Beit HaMikdash, meaning within the Azara, within the main chamber of the Beit HaMikdash. The Parah Duma, on the other hand, as the Torah prescribes, had to specifically be done outside of the camp, meaning not out, only outside of the, um, of the tabernacle and the courtyard, which the equivalent of that would be the entire uh, Temple Mount, the entire Harabais but rather had to be done outside of the city limits, outside of, quote, all three camps. So it had to be done on the very, very outskirts, the most distant, so to speak, spot away from the Bet HaMikdash. However, on the other hand, the Kohen who sprinkled the blood after slaughtering this animal had to do it, as it says, facing the Pnei Oil Moed, now, Panei means the face of. He had to do it directly facing the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. 
But the sages explain what does this mean? That in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, the times when they had the Holy Temple in Yerushalayim, that from the spot where you do, he has to be able to see, have to have a direct line of sight to the inner part of the Beit HaMikdash, the Heichal, the most inner chamber, the main hall of the Beit HaMikdash. And if he couldn't see that, then it renders it in, in unfit. So on the one hand, you see the two extremes here. On the one hand, it has to be in the most distant spot outside. And on the other hand, it has to be connected to the very most inner side, or inside of the Bet HaMikdash. How does this get explained in the spiritual sense? So what is the accomplishment of tshuva? The, what does a tshuva really affect? What does it do? What does it bring about? It brings about an atonement, a cleansing for the most, quote, outer things that there is. The most outer, the most extreme outside thing from Hashem that could very could, could possibly be. Meaning, as we know the sages tell us, that Shuva has the power to even atone, even reverse Zidonos, intentional, deliberate sins. Not only sins that were done in an accidental manner, but sins that were done deliberately to go against Hashem, with full intention. Even that, the most outer thing, Shuva has the power of reversing, tshuva has the power of atoning. Not only atoning, but even elevating it. Now, where does this potential, where does this power come from? Where does this spiritual energy for this come from? Penei. Penei doesn't only mean the face, but as we know, in Hebrew, the word penei comes also from the word penimiyut, from the most inner part, from the highest point of godliness. From there comes the power, from there comes the spiritual energy from which we can take, draw the power in order to reverse even the most terrible of sins from way, way out there. So you see the connection of the total outside to the total inside to the most inner part, so to speak, of Hashem. As the Talmud describes the different levels in holiness, which only God, when it comes to God, he says, let the sinner do tshuva and come back. But even in the high levels of, for example, the Torah, and even in, so to speak, in the intellect of the Torah, there is no room for tshuva. Only when it comes to the most inner part of Hashem, so to speak, Hashem himself, in his um, holy essence. Now, one would think, okay, that's the idea of the paraduma, the idea of tshuva. But look, I'm not a sinner, and I didn't do anything wrong. In other words, one who is in the level of a tzaddik, one who's righteous, and he never sinned, he never never distorted anything. You know, guy who's going in a hoylech yosher, somebody who's always on the straight and narrow, it would seem that it has no concept, it has no connection to him. This whole concept doesn't really, so to speak, belong to him. And this is where we say, this is where comes in the concept, the idea of the halacha, the mitzvah, lemishmeres tamid. It has to be a constant safekeeping. And the Rebbe builds this up gradually now. First of all, Somebody has to know that he, well, one has to always be in a mode of tshuva. One has to be ready and, 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 so to speak, on the alert all the time of tshuva. Why? As it says, it says that the sages tell us, Do not believe in yourself until the day you die. That means every single person, even the greatest tzaddik, has some vulnerability and cannot trust himself. and always has to be ready that in case they slip, they do tshuva. Especially... That's taking it a step further. Considering the rule, the famous adage that it says, There is no tzaddik in the earth, meaning there's no tzaddik that exists, even the most righteous, that should do only good and never sin. 
Now the Rebbe emphasizes the word yechta doesn't mean outright sin, because if once you sin, you're not a tzaddik. But the word yechta comes from the word chet, which means a deficiency, which means that even if he's the greatest tzaddik, but there's always some deficiency by the inherent virtue of the fact that one is a human being, there's always a possibility that what he did and how he did it wasn't in the most complete manner. Or maybe not all the time. You can be complete, but not all the time. You can be all the time, but not complete. And therefore, not fully whole in the service of Hashem, 1,000%. And therefore, there is that idea of constantly being in a mode of tshuva, in a mode of repentance, even for that minor, which is not even an infraction for most of us, but for that minor, minor, minor deficiency that is categorized as hate, which is the same word for sin, one would have to be in the mode of tshuva, even if they're at tzaddik. And taking it even a step further, even somebody who doesn't suffer from that, we know that there is a famous eulogy that the Arizal, the great Kabbalist Arizal gave, for a great Kabbalist, the Ramak, who passed away in his time, and he used he quoted the verse that says that quote if there shall be shall come to pass that somebody should have a chait mishpat moves who have a verdict of death, and then it says visalisa oisayal eitz over there it means literally you should hang him on a tree they would hang the corpse on a tree but the Arizal poetically explained it to mean vitalita ota that means you should depend it you should hang it meaning you should blame it al eitz on the tree. And he explained that at Sadiq, like the Ramak, it's not possible to think in any way that he should deserve to pass away. Because there was nothing deficient about him. He was perfectly righteous and whole. Why then did he die? So the Rizal says, Vitalita also al eights. You shall depend it, you shall hang it, you should blame it on the eights, the tree. Which tree? The tree of knowledge, the original sin, the origin of all sin. Meaning, when there was the first sin and Hashem decreed that everybody, every single human will have to pass, every single human will have to die, that's why he died. But otherwise he in himself was not deserving of dying. But what you see from this is that even a tzaddik like the Ramak, who the Arizal himself testifies that he doesn't deserve to die. And it's only because by default, because of this decree that he died, even he is somewhat connected, albeit remotely, but he's connected and he has some inherent um, uh, uh, connection that is to the sin of to, to, this, to sin by virtue of having connection to the original sin. Now take it even a step further. Even if somebody is not even is even greater than this level, but think about it. The sages tell us that anyone who the Beis HaMikdash was not rebuilt in his times, it has to see to it as if it was destroyed in his times. So by virtue of the fact that I live in these times and the Beis HaMikdash has yet, not yet been rebuilt, means that I have a connection to it, albeit collectively through all of the Jews, but I am connected to it. That in itself is a deficiency, which certainly needs to have tshuva. So of course, this already tells us that the Paraduma is applicable not only, quote, to the sinner, the one who's spiritually dead, but even to the tzaddik, to the righteous, who is always constantly alive. However, one would perhaps think, okay, you know what? It has to be there. 
So to speak, it should be there on the shelf, it should be there in reserve, and in the case that I ever need it, in case that I feel some deficiency as a tzaddik, then I will avail myself of it, then I will, you know, take advantage of it, right? But really, in essence, I am somebody who's connected to that latter parasha, HaChodesh. What does HaChodesh speak about? HaChodesh speaks about the Passover offering, which without getting into detail, but is explained that that is on the level of tzaddikim. The idea of HaChodesh, the idea of offering the Korban Pesach was a renewal. That is something which every Jew who partook in it at the time in Egypt was on the level of tzaddik, became like a tzaddik, became fully transformed into the most pure state. So he can think to himself, look, it's good to know that the para is there, the concept is there, the idea is there, but I am really more connected. I am more, so to speak, actively related to HaChodesh. And this is where the sages come in and say no. This is the Taharatam shall call Yisrael. This is the purification of all of Israel, not just the one who is impure. Because the idea of the Paraduma is that even a tzaddik that is on the state of HaChodesh, and logically as the Talmud says, would make sense to first read HaChodesh. But even the tzaddik has to know and has to be ready to first do, go through the mode of tshuva. First have that return. First have that atonement for whatever it may be as we describe the various levels of even the most refined, quote, sin, or most refined deficiency on the tzaddik, still you need to have first the tshuva. And where do we see it? There's actually an expression in the Tanya that will help us better understand. Because really it seems to be a little ridiculous and a little unfair. The guy is a tzaddik. The person is perfect and righteous, always in a straight and narrow. And here we're kind of like finding, almost deliberately trying to find something wrong with him. Maybe there's nothing wrong with him. So the Altareb explains in Tanya that even, quote, a tzaddik, that loves Hashem, loves God with his whole entire heart. But the fact is, and this no tzaddik can run away from, by virtue of the fact that he's a human being, and he's using his heart, his emotions to love Hashem, yesh mi sha'ayev. There's already a separate, in some level, although he's totally subservient and submissive to Hashem, but on some level, it's he, meaning his entity, his separate being, who loves Hashem. And for that alone, there's always a need, a constant need to be in the mode of tshuva. And through tshuva, then we come to hachodesh, then we come to the level of tzaddikim, as the expression is in the halacha, expression is in the Talmud, that quote, from a mafsikim me para lechachodesh. There is no interruption whatsoever between para and achodesh. You see, because for example, between the parsha we read before Purim and parsha's para, there's always a, usually a Shabbos in between, as the case this year. But between Par and Achodesh, there's never an interruption. Meaning, once you affect this idea of tshuva, automatically you go in, you segue into the level of tzaddik, to that pure purity level of offering the Korban Pesach. Now just imagine, if this is the case for a tzaddik, everything we spoke, how much more so for a Benini, or how much more so for somebody who wishes that they were a Benini.